by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. How's everybody doing? Seems awful quiet in this Holy Ghost filled church this morning. Maybe we should have praised and worshiped a little longer. I don't know. Breakthrough. Sometimes you got to get the crazy praise on. Well, anyway, if this is your first time to the Passion Church, we're passionate about Jesus, as you probably can tell. Uh, I'm Pastor Guy, and we welcome you here today. We welcome everybody here today. I think some of y'all guys might just be wore out from O'Brien Park yesterday, because there was a lot of love going on at the park yesterday, wasn't it? Man, it was awesome. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 2.10, and while you do, I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that... Everything that you want done here today gets done. Holy Spirit, you lead and guide the way. You lead us into all truth. And thy word, it's truth. I pray over every person that they would have ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts that will understand and grasp hold of the seed of the word of God and let it get planted down in the, in the midst of their garden and grow up and spring up into eternal life and we'll all leave here different than we came. We'll all know you more. You'll give us answers to our questions. I thank you, Father, for the anointing. I thank you for the anointing that the greeters and the ushers had this morning to love on people as they came through the door. I thank you for the anointing of resting upon every person like tongues of fire on their head today, the gift of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, for our ability to love well and love one another. I thank you for everything you're doing in this church. We are a church with such purpose, Father, and we're discovering ourselves in you. We're finding ourselves in you, Jesus. And I thank you for it. It's so exciting to be a part of this, this end-time revival that's taking place in our hearts. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You find Ephesians 2.10 yet? I forgot to pray for Haiti. Let's pray for Haiti. Look, I, last I saw, over 900 people lost their lives in the hurricane that came through Haiti. They're a very poor country. Uh, I personally know somebody who's from there, they texted me that night and uh, said that their daughter and, and her husband and their children were sitting in a car in their uh, carport trying to survive because the roof had caved in on their house and there was water coming up in the floorboard of their car at the time we started praying. So, I mean, it's a serious deal over there. They, thank God they had the car to get into. Uh, Lord, I just pray for everybody in the path of Hurricane Matthew and all the weather systems going on around the world today. I pray that, I just say, peace be still like Jesus said. Stop, calm those storms, Lord. I thank you for the, that it's during these times that people look to you and do pray, and sometimes it takes a shaking to awaken us to pray. Father God, but we pray, and we believe that you're there in the midst of the people of Haiti and all along our eastern coast that you're with them to help them rebuild, that, that those who have lost loved ones, that you'll comfort them and be with them, and, and that somehow you'll turn what has turned out bad to, to be a great good. And I thank you for not letting the brunt of it hit, hit us like people had predicted, but turning it out, back out into the ocean. 
And I thank you for protecting us in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. O'Brien Park. Awesome. I want you, if you were at O'Brien Park or you participated in the O'Brien Park outreach and you felt like, just, if you was to think about it right now, you'd say, hey, that's who we are. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's us. And you felt, you felt it and you know it's true. Stand to your feet if you were part of it and you feel that way. Give them a round of applause. All right. Give yourselves a round of applause. All right, you can be seated. I know many of you were or felt like you were put on the spot, and we didn't mean to, but all of a sudden the microphone just got handed out to different people and started giving testimonies. If you came to the park and you gave a testimony yesterday for Jesus Christ, would you stand up? <laughs> Who else did we have that, that gave testimonies? Somebody's not standing up on us. Joe's ushering, he's in the back. We had people, man, uh, just don't... Was ready with an answer when people asked, What is the hope of their calling? Just like it says in Peter. They were able to give an answer. Stood up in front of a whole crowd of people with a microphone just shoved at them. <laughs> Big Kevin was a, yeah, took five, ten minutes. We had to snatch the mic back from him. He was <laughs> telling how what Jesus had done for him. And you overcame any insecurities. That's what, that's what this life is about, overcoming insecurities. And that's the title of today's message No More Insecurity. No more insecurity. We've got to get past all that, right? I want you to stand to your feet if you feel like we're a Catholic church. Stand up, sit down, kneel down. No. <laughs> no, don't stand to your feet anymore. Ephesians 2.10. I didn't say nothing bad about your church. I'm just saying they do a lot of calisthenics during the service. That's all I'm saying. I used to get in shape when I went to the Catholic church. All right. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things that he planned for us long ago. Did you know God has planned for you to do good things? No question about it. If you're here within the sound of my voice or beyond the sound of my voice, God planned for you to do good things. One time I went hunting with my dad when I was in my early 20s or something, and uh, we went to these woods where I had killed a buck before, and I was all excited to go. And, but these woods were, they were strange because they had these things called palmettos. They were like little small palm trees about this tall all over the woods. You couldn't see anything while you were walking through the woods. It was so thick, but that's why the big bucks were back there, you know. And so my dad, he ain't happy just hunting, you know, somewhere near a road. We got to walk about two or three miles. We're carrying these heavy deer stands and rifles and stuff, and we... We finally get to a place, and it's this big tall tree, and he points at it, and he says, you see that first limb there, boy? You shimmy up that tree, and you, get to, you don't stop till you get to that limb, because you're going to need to get that hive so you can see over them palmettos, so you get a good shot at a deer. I said, yes, sir. I strapped my thing around the tree, and I start. back then, we didn't have the hand deals, if you know anything about climbing stands. We just bear hugged. <laughs> you know, by the time you got through, your chest was all bloody. We was bear-hugging our way and wrenching our, I went, but I got to going, and I wrenched my way all the way up. And I didn't stop. I was just looking up, you know, and I got to that limb, and I, and I got there, and I, I was sweaty, and I, said, I, I turned around, and then I made the mistake of looking down and remembering I'm afraid of heights, you know. And I was, then I grabbed that tree again. I was hugging it tighter than I did on the way up, you know, and I was like, oh, my goodness. 
can I reach him? And I started shaking, man. My heart started beating. I didn't realize, you know, from the ground it didn't look that high, but up there it looked like I was on top of Mount Everest or something. And my, my heart was, and, and I suddenly felt insecure. You know what I'm talking about? Because I wasn't secured to that tree yet. And I was like digging in my, my pocket, where's my rope? And I was going to tie it around myself, and I was just, just shaking, you know. And about that time I heard a and I look down, and this big buck is walking underneath the tree stand. Now, some of you guys may have had the nerve to just whip on around, take your shoulder, gun off, and get a good shot off. What did I do? <laughs> I held on to the tree. I let that buck go. My daddy killed him. It was a big old buck. <laughs> Say, no more insecurity. We all have insecurities. There ain't a person in here. Sometimes you men folks that pretend you don't have, I can pretend I don't have any insecurities. But if you was to get up underneath the hood and get, roll around in our mind for a minute, you'd realize we're all in a place of learning security. We all are born with insecurity, right? And as we know God, then we, we develop this insecurity. I'm like the king of insecurity, if you must know the truth. Actually, I'm not really that good at it. I don't know why I'm teaching this message. I, I don't have anything to say. I'm, I'm just going to hold on to this while you <laughs> You see how insecurity can get you all of a sudden? It'll sneak up on you and remind you that you can't do something. No, our insecurities must be confronted. Now, I know some of you are holding on tight. But your insecurities must be confronted. It's part of the sanctification process. Once you give your heart to Jesus, it's now your responsibility to start confronting your fears, your doubts, and your insecurities. I wrote this, and it's on your sheet. Did everybody get a bulletin this morning? The bulletins are important. They got the announcements on them. And they also got some places you can fill in blanks if you want to follow along. This is one of your questions. We can't hide behind our insecurities and use them as a perpetual excuse why we can't do stuff. Now, I'm going to step on some toes this morning. Mostly mine. I mean, it was hard to write this, but, but some of us hold on to our insecurities and we won't let go. And we begin to identify with what we can't do. And we'll tell everybody else what we can't do. And we're holding on so tight to our insecurities, there's no way anybody can get you to ever do anything. We must not hide behind our insecurities and use them as a perpetual excuse while we can't do stuff. We'll never fulfill God's calling for your life like that. God's plan requires what? God's plan requires boldness, courage, faith. Those are the things that please God. He, the plan he has for your life, I can guarantee you, you won't get there hiding behind your insecurities. I can just guarantee it. He's going to require you to step out and do something. So I wrote some things down. I got to thinking about insecurity. How do you know if you're insecure? Well, like I said, I'm going to step on some toes here. But I've, I came to see it the way I see it is insecurity kind of comes in two different shapes. I see those that are overcompensators because of their insecurities. And then I see some that are underachievers 
because of their securities. Overcompensators, underachievers. Let's talk about underachievers. These are some telltale traits that I've noticed about underachievers. Now, I'm no psychologist, so this may not go along with your textbooks you learned in high school, but these are some things that I have noticed. Underachievers apologize all the time. Now, I want you to recognize yourself in these. Don't get mad. Don't get upset. Just recognize. I'm saying we all deal with these. Some of us more stronger in these areas. But, but these, these are the things that call, are caused by insecurity. You apologize all the time, sometimes when you don't even need to, a lot, most of the time because you don't need to. You can't maintain eye contact with somebody. Have you seen insecure people that, that can't even make eye contact if it gets bad enough? We change the subject when things get personal. We, we, we kind of begin to hide our own personal feelings or in our own situation. We don't want to talk about us. We use self-deprecating humor. Humor is, is really a, a mechanism that many people use to hide their insecurities. Uh, you know the story of Robin Williams who recently committed suicide. A, a comedic genius. I mean, he was funny as all get out. But we come to find out it, it's a mechanism that he developed because of such great insecurity in his life. Insecure people that are Underachievers often won't make firm decisions. They'll stare at the McDonald's menu like they've never been there before. I don't know. What, what do they have here? They got the Big Mac. You know what they have here. You know, they got a quarter pounder. It says it doesn't change much. They, they may have, may not have a Mac rib. I don't know. <laughs> but pretty much, haven't you been here before? You know? Underachievers are nervous in crowds. They think everybody's watching them. And, and I know I, I feel like that. You know, you go to a ball game, be 102,000 people in an arena, and you're like, is everybody looking at my shirt? You know, <laughs> no, ain't nobody looking at your shirt. There's 102,000 people here. They ain't got time to all focus on you. But we underachievers that are insecure feel like everybody's watching them. They're always fishing for compliments. How do I look in this? Or, you know, did I do good? They're always, those are kind of things. We all act like this. They can be excessively jealous. They're jealous people. You know, when, once they got something, they don't, they don't really feel like that they're capable of holding on to it, so they, they try harder to hold on, and they don't realize that the jealousy is pushing them people away. They suck the life out of a lot of people. <clears throat> they often find their identity in someone else. Right? You could, uh, whether it be a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife, they feel like they're nothing without them, that that, that person is everything to them. And by this point in the sermon, I realize a lot of insecure people are wanting to get up and walk out. <laughs> but there's probably a lot of other traits for the underachieving insecure person. Now let's talk about the over overcompensators, which I would probably fit more in this category. They handle their insecurities differently, and they necessitate the quote, confidence is silent, but insecurity is awful loud. <laughs> See, these people may actually accomplish great things. 
In, in fact, many times they do accomplish really great things. Have you noticed that most of the, the great men that you read about, they didn't have a dad in the house? I didn't have a dad in the house. Maybe you didn't have a dad in the house. Men like that, they don't know when they become a man, so they're just going to make sure they, they're full bore until they accomplish things so they can know when they become a man. They can, they can sense it. They can, nobody can say anything against me because they don't have a dad there to tell them, it's all right, you're doing fine, son. It's, you're going to make mistakes, you know. But they're overcompensating. But they may do great things, but it's typically for all the wrong reasons. They're doing it, you know, because they have this, low self-worth. And they also make tons of excuses why they don't do more. They, they're, they're perfectionists. They think they have, just have to attain, you know. And uh, they're bad losers and even worse winners. Have you ever played basketball with me? <laughs> if I'm losing, I'm like, man, my ankle's hurting, you know. They're making up excuses. Is that gold regulation? <laughs> But if I'm winning, it's like, woo, come on, baby, slamming the ball down, you know. I'm the best ever, you know. Come on, LeBron James, you know. You, you just, bad losers and bad winners. Their confidence is not real. It's like a house of cards that's just ready to fold at any time. Have you ever watched a sports team like a basketball team or something? The first half, they just demolish the other team. Man, they come out all pumped up, and they're doing great. They come out the second half, and then one play happens or some shift of the emotions somewhere along the line, and then they just, it's like they can't put it in the basket. It's like they can't dribble anymore. They, they start losing confidence, and their house of cards comes crashing down, and they lose by a ton. And the, and the announcers may say, well, it was a big change in the, in the uh, what do you call it, the, it was a, Momentum swing. It was a big momentum swing in the game, and, and the other team just, you know, rode on the momentum swing. No, it was a big choke. Insecurity will cause you to choke up. You, all of a sudden, you can be doing good. Insecure people can be doing good, but then all of a sudden they, they think about themselves, and they say, what am I doing? I'm not supposed to be winning. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be in the lead. I'm acting all, what, what, what if, what if? And they start running scenarios through their mind, and then all of a sudden, boom, they choke. But they brag about themselves all the time. Tim Fargo said, arrogance is the camouflage of insecurity. If you see somebody that just brags about themselves all the time, it's probably because they're an insecure person, and they have to say, say it to try to believe it. They point out others' flaws and make fun of other people, they belittle other people's accomplishments. They refuse to see good in anybody that intimidates them. And a lot of people that are insecure are intimidated by stronger personalities and so forth, and so they'll just put those people down. They refuse to recognize that those people may have a point there. They just uh, they don't give them any credit. They think everybody is out to get them. They resort to name-calling and violence when they're confronted. That used to be me bad. I only had two gears. We was good or we was nucking, you know. It was one or the other. If there was confrontation, my heart would start beating, and I didn't know how to, to handle confrontation, and, I, and, and the next thing was fixing to come out a cuss word, you know. It was fixing to get loud. That, that was the only, I had two speeds. It was calm and collected or loud and let's fight. And so I know what I'm talking about here. And overcompensators, 
due to insecurity, always have to have the last word. And that's all we're going to say about that. <laughs> Y'all pray for me. I'm starting to feel insecure. What's the definition of insecure? Definition. The first definition I found was subject to fears, doubts, not confident or assured. That sounds like nothing like a Christian is supposed to be. In fear, which is the opposite of faith, doubt, which is the opposite of belief, no confidence, not assured. Aren't we supposed to be the most assured people? <laughs> We've got some assurances, I can assure you. <laughs> but what it all boils down to is our innate fear of death. We're born with it. We are born insecure. We are born with a fear of death. And I can prove it to you. Hebrews 2, verse 14. It says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. In other words, because we were weak and we were in this flesh and blood, Jesus came down to be one of us. For only as a human being could he die. You see, he wasn't going to die before. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who has the power of death. So Jesus came to break the power of what? Death. And it goes on to say, only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. See, we all, we're all born as slaves to the fear of dying until we realize that Jesus has set us free. He has broke the power of death. I should, should get more amens than that. <laughs> Unless we got just a really insecure church. <clears throat> the second definition of insecure, not firmly or reliably, reliably placed or fastened like I was up in that deer stand. I wasn't securely fastened. I wasn't reliably placed. That's why they make harnesses to climb tree stands that I didn't have when I had a little rope. That's why they make seat belts for cars to keep you firmly in place, in a place of security. Right? It provides security. Insecurity is not having security. So being firmly in place, strapped in, is important to a Christian. Insecure Christians, this is on your sheet, haven't yet realized the fullness of God's grip on us. You see, once you give your heart to Jesus, that's why you learn the Holy Scriptures. Because it builds faith. It builds confidence. You begin to see what Christ has done for you. Ephesians 2.6 says he's raised us up from the dead with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. We're seated with Christ. That's pretty secure. It says in John 10, 28, and I give unto them eternal life. Eternal doesn't have quotations. It just goes on. It's forever. You want security? How about eternal security? Woo! <laughs> Starting to preach real good on the front row. All right. And they shall never perish. Never is a big word. 
We shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Man, that ought to give you, if you want secure, know that God the Father holds you in his hand. How much more secure do you need to be? No man can pluck you out of there. That's pretty secure. Y'all remember Liberty Land? I took my daughter to Liberty Land back when it was open. She was six or seven at the time. I wanted to ride the Zippin' Pippin'. Anybody remember the Zippin' Pippin'? Wooden roller coaster. I hadn't rode it in a long time. So I took my daughter up there with me, and the sign says you got to be yay high to get on. She's about yay high, but I said, ah, we'll get you on. And I was hoping they wouldn't notice. They didn't notice. They put us right on. We got in the little car thing, and uh, I was looking for seat belts. There wasn't none. There was just a little bar they pulled down. And I'm looking at the difference between her and that bar. She can barely see above the bar. They didn't care. We took off. Man, that was a rough roller coaster. I mean, just going up the hill was about to jerk you like this, you know. Man, we went over there. As we come down, I saw her going up. We got to the next hill. She went, oh! I was pulling her down every hill. You know, she was kind of going. I was, and I, was, I was just the whole rest of the way. I was just trying to hold on to her. She was coming up out of the car. We got to the end. I thought she would be crying and stuff. She was okay. You know why? Because Daddy had his hand on her. She didn't care. She was secure. And that's the way this life is. This life itself, it ain't secure. I'm not trying to paint you no fairy tales. This life we live, man, I could have fell out of that tree. But the difference is, we as Christians have somebody with a, a daddy with his hands on us. And we got to know, even if we go, it's just a promotion. The, the eternal part is taken care of. So we got to be the bold. We got to be the courageous. We got to be the goers like we were yesterday. Woo! Do you want to do great things for God? I don't know. You know, some, some people have just been beat down for so long and go through life and just think this is all there is, and they just kind of get used to it. And they, they lose their dreams, their aspirations, any hope that they had for doing anything great. Well, get it back. Get it back. There's no reason for a Christian to be like that, just going through the motions. We have everything to live for. Oh, we absolutely do. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 16, and we'll start today's message. First Samuel 16, most of y'all know this story about King David, or little David. When we start in verse 1, we see that Samuel is upset because of King Saul. Saul was the first king before David. The priest Samuel, he's just upset because he couldn't save Saul's kingship. Saul was the world's worst king. Why? He was full of insecurity. 
He was terrible. I mean, he was the most insecure person. They should have known that when they went to, to anoint him as king. He was over there hiding behind the luggage. If you ever read your Bible, it's in there. They went to, at his own coronation, he's hiding. They have to go, where'd he go? Where'd he? He's over there hiding behind the luggage. They, they bring him out and make him king. He's a big, strong, good-looking fella, ahead above everybody else in Israel. But man, on the inside, he's just like a little wiener. I mean, little wiener dog, you know. <laughs> he becomes king, and he has people that are trying to serve him and doing great things like David. And what does he do? He's jealous. The women are singing songs. Saul's killed his thousands, but David's killed his 10,000. Man, that just drove him nuts. He's, from then on, he's trying to kill David. That's a sign of insecurity when you're trying to kill somebody <laughs> because they're better than you. He was one, I mean, he got to the place where he only cared about pleasing people. He didn't care anything about pleasing God. That's a sign of insecurity. You're a people pleaser. Insecurity. Say insecurity. Now God, he was patient with, with King Saul. He tried to work with him. But Saul would not change. And guess what happens if you don't change? If you aren't willing to change, God will have to use somebody else. How many times has God asked you to do something? And you, I can't do that, God. I'm not strong. I, when we handed Kevin the microphone yesterday, he looked around and what, you know. But then something rose up on him, in him. And he overcame the fear. But how many times has God gave you the microphone, so to speak? And, oh, no, I can't. And you start looking at yourself and you start, man, there's no way, there's no way. And he had to find somebody else. Well, stop being that. I'm talking about change today. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Where do we remember Bethlehem in the Bible? Anyway, find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. So, the priest Samuel, he goes to Jesse's house, and you know the story. Uh, he doesn't know which one, but he knows God will show him when, when he happens. And Eliab, the first oldest, best-looking son, comes walking up. And Jesse says, here's my firstborn. And Samuel says, man, that's him. There's no way that dude right there is not king. Because he's thinking about, you know, King Saul was kind of good-looking and big. Like The next king is surely going to be, you know, the biggest and best-looking. <coughs> But the Lord said to Samuel in verse 7, Don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. What did he see in Eliab's heart? Maybe he saw a big, good-looking guy that had no confidence. Or... Maybe he saw a, a big, good-looking guy that had no faith. There's a better way to put it, isn't it? Because the Bible says it's impossible to please God without what? So Eliab didn't please God. 
And so they went through all six other sons, or seven sons, all big, good-looking, strong, handsome young men, and Samuel rejects them all. The Lord, Lord, what is it? No, mm-mm, no, mm-mm, no, next. You got any, anybody else? And Jesse said, well, you got the little run out in the back, you know, watching the sheep and the goats. You don't want me to bring him in, he's just a little boy. Well, I'm not sitting down until you do. He brings this little boy in. His name's David. <laughs> now, if anybody had a reason to be insecure with a dad <laughs> talking bad about you like that, you are the, the runt of the family, the littlest, the youngest, not even worthy to be brought in for this th- deal. David could have been awful insecure at that moment. But what was different about David? Because we know David was anointed with that flask of olive oil. What was different? God saw faith. Not insecurity. Someone who trusted God. Faith is proof of our security in him. That's basically what it is. To the level that we're still remain insecure is to the level that we haven't known him. The more you know him, the more secure you will be. Now David proves that right off the bat because it's there's a long gap between this little boy and when he becomes actually becomes king. He's anointed as a young boy. He's not king for probably 15 years later. I don't know. I didn't count them all up, but probably when he's in his 30s or something. But I don't know if it had been you. As a little boy, you know, a teenager, I'd have been like, all right, I'm the new king. I'm the new sheriff around here. Things are going to be different. <laughs> right? I'd have begun to boss people around, boasting, telling everybody in town. David did none of that. I, then I'd have begun to, God, you said y'all was going to be king, and I'm still here. I'm 20 years old now. What, what are you doing, God? I'd have been insecure. I'd have been walking the halls. When is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? But not David. He didn't get in a rush. He was secure. Really, David was so secure, it didn't matter to him whether he was king or not. As long as he was pleasing to the Lord, he was happy. He knew that and in the right time, God would make him king. When he was ready, and when he was ready, it would happen. But it had been spoken, so it was, it was a done deal. He didn't worry about it. He didn't have to brag about it. He knew the day was coming. So before that happened, let's talk about David being sent to the battle lines. Not long after he's anointed, the three older boys are part of the army of Israel, and they're out there camped against the, the battle uh, to battle the Philistines. And this is when Goliath is out there talking all his smack. Well, Jesse, the, the daddy says, David, I need you to go. I know, get somebody else to watch your sheep for a minute. Go out there and bring the boys something to eat. Give some cheese to the commanders and uh, bring me back a report for how it's going at the, at the battlefield. So David does. He goes. And he, and he gets there. And what's the first thing happens? His brother's try to intimidate him. David, what are you doing here? Ain't you got some little sheep to, to be watching? you just here to watch the battle. What are you doing here, you little runt? 
They try to intimidate David. <clears throat> it doesn't work. Say it doesn't work. It doesn't work. In fact, they were the insecure ones. They're the ones sitting around hiding from Goliath. <laughs> They're trying to make him feel like, like they do. Doesn't work. Say it doesn't work. David, on the other hand, says, let me at him. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine, this overcompensating little insecure nine-foot little giant? Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? This, this little David guy. Don't you start to like him? Don't you see what God saw in him? Don't you know you could be like him? You could be like David. Don't, he didn't have any more strength than you do. His strength came from his faith. In 1 Samuel 17, the next chapter, in verse 32, he goes to King Saul. He says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. All the other men was hiding from Goliath. Now, you can kind of understand. This, I don't know, this is maybe two foot tall, and I'm about six foot tall. So I'm about eight foot right now. So you can imagine a nine foot guy. His, all right, let's say his head would bump the bottom of that speaker. Easy. Probably, probably a little bit up from that. Probably halfway up to that speaker. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a little boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. You see, even King Saul's trying to intimidate David. Say, doesn't work. Doesn't work. <laughs> David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If an animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw, and I club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do this to that pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claw of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented, all right, go ahead. May the Lord be with you. Then Saul tries to give him his armor, his own armor. Here, take my armor. You're going to need all the help you. David put that stuff on me. He said, this doesn't work. My security is not in that armor. I know who the Lord has made me. See, some of you may have put that armor on and said, yeah, that, that's good, I'll use that. And your security wouldn't have been in the armor. Maybe you, you needed the armor. Different situations for different folks. But for David, no, this is not how I roll. I know how God made me. We all have different ways about going and doing things, right? And God will use your strengths. I'm preaching real good, y'all ain't even helping me. 1 Samuel 17, 45, David replies to the Philistine after, did I mention Goliath tries to intimidate David? Say it doesn't work. <laughs> Everybody's trying to intimidate David. Do you see how the devil works to keep people from doing great things for God? Every level, somebody's going to be trying to talk you out of your dreams. Don't let them. Every level, somebody's going to say, you can't do it for this reason, for that reason. But you know who God is on the inside of you. Amen. David, uh, Goliath says, what, what, y'all sending me this little boy? 
I think Goliath was the insecure one. This guy's got on all kind of armor. He's got an armor bearer. He's out there talking big, doing all that boasting. What I say about people that boast so much? Insecure. It don't matter if you're nine foot tall, you can be insecure. It's how big you are on the inside. Oh, I'm preaching so good today. It ain't me. I'm not boasting. <laughs> it's the Lord. <laughs> Verse 45, David replies to this big knucklehead, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. <laughs> And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, praise the Lord, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Well, this angered big old Goliath, and, and he probably, you know, when confrontation actually comes, Insecure people do what? They're ready to fight. So he, he starts coming towards David. He expects David to back up. <laughs> well, guess again. David starts running. He pulls out a little stone, puts it in his sling, and he's running at this big giant. <laughs> Let's it go. Boom. <laughs> Dude hits the ground like a big oak tree. <laughs> Probably took him 30 minutes to finish falling. <laughs> The big giant falls, and the whole Philistine army is in a panic. They take off running. The Israelites jump up and say, I think this is where the momentum switch is, and they take off after them. <laughs> they chase them down and win a great victory. Why did the Philistine army run, jump and run? Because they had their faith in a man. Say, doesn't work. When the man fell, they fell. See that in the church every day. A well-known pastor, a preacher falls, and then that's just somebody's excuse. Well I, well, I don't believe anymore. You wasn't believing in God in the first place. You had your faith in a man. People put their faith, that their faith falls because of circumstances. You see, we're built with a foundation of people in here who's been through the circumstances and are still standing. They didn't let the circumstances change their heart about God. They were rooted and grounded in the love of God. They know who they are in Christ. Man, I'm still preaching real good. And, if, and we'll, the last thing we'll say about this story, well, maybe not. At the end of the 17th chapter, after all this has happened, King Saul scratching his head, and he brings David in. He says, who's your daddy? He said, who are you? Who's your daddy? Look, when you let faith rise up in you and you do great things for God, people are going to be asking, who's your daddy? And that's what it's all about. You're going to point to, to the daddy, to your Abba Father. That's what we're trying to do around here. We're trying to live lives to glorify the Father. Christians should be the glorifying his people. They ain't supposed to say, who is your daddy? That is a shame. <laughs> I, I would whoop your daddy if I, he was here right now. <laughs> no, who is your who is your daddy? Because he taught you good. I want, I want to know your daddy. And see, that's the way it's all supposed to be. Where was David's security found? 
This is on your sheet. The first thing we must do is not reckon ourselves by ourselves, but by the God that lives in us. See, we don't see ourselves by ourselves. We see ourselves with somebody in us. I'm preaching still good. See, insecure folks are always focusing on you. And you know you. That ain't good. Let's just be honest. We ain't much to look at. We ain't much to trust in our own strength. We can just... But you're saying, well, what about this self-esteem stuff that I heard so much about? Well, you can listen to the, the devil's textbooks all you want. But God says, go on and, 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 and uh, don't worry about your self-image. Worry about the image of who God is in you. It ain't about your self-esteem. The Bible don't talk about self-esteem. And you esteem yourself... No, you humble yourself, and you make God big. See, that's the problem. Some of us have tried to develop self-esteem. But you know you, and it didn't last long. Because you know you. You can think good thoughts about yourself all you want to. In the end, you have to live with you. You know yourself. You know that I, I can do nothing apart from Christ. But when you get to shift, that's the first part of it. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do nothing apart but all things through. Nothing, all things, nothing, all things. Mm. Woo. Christ in me, the hope of glory. I'm starting to sound like a real preacher. I was hoping I would never do that. I just want to be a real preacher. I don't want to be some scripted. I'm not trying to, I'm just having a good time up here, excuse me. I'm not trying to be like some evangelist or some TV guy. I just want to be real. I just like having fun. But I guess after you do it a while, you just start looking like other preachers. Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how I live. Philippians 3.3 3 says we rely on Christ Jesus. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us, and we put no confidence in human effort. See, it's just about getting your gaze on the right thing. The world tries to get you to point to, to you. If it feels good, do it. You know, be your own man. Be this. You can do it. Everything is about you. And we know that you don't work. It's Christ in me. And this comparing ourselves to one another is just foolishness. That does away with all comparison. You know, that's why many of us are insecure. We see people that can do things better than us, and we start having a lowly opinion of ourselves. But didn't we already start with a scripture that says you're a masterpiece? You're a masterpiece. That means one of a kind. When you're one of a kind, who are you going to compare yourself to? Anybody you compare yourself to is like apples and oranges. You can't make that comparison because you are you. You got your own DNA. You got your own fingerprints. You got your own personality. You are you, and nobody can take that. 
Nobody can compare with you. It's not about what you are. It's about what Christ is in you that matters. So how do we overcome insecurity? Well, first, look in the mirror of God's Word. James calls this a mirror. He says you behold yourself in a mirror and you forget what manner of man you are. Don't forget. Look in there and, and, don't, and look for the in him scriptures. In whom? Any, anything that refers to being in Christ. All the God, promises of God are yes and amen. Where? In Christ. Right? Amen. They're in him. And that's where you find yourself. In him. No place else. It's where we live, move, and have our being. It's in Christ. Don't You see, David didn't compare himself with Goliath. He compared Goliath with the God in him. If I was to look at Goliath, oh, man, I ain't got a chance against that guy. In the wilderness, they sent the 12 spies in. Ten of them come back. We ain't got a chance against them guys. But two of them come back and said, we know that our God is able. David looked at Goliath and said, he ain't nothing compared to my God. He couldn't be intimidated. And whose battle is it anyway? It's the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And he don't lose. How many have seen the, the movie Forrest Gump? Bunch of sinners. I hope you saw the PG rate version. I'd watched it on TV one time. We rented it, and I said, oh, no. I'm not watching that. Because <laughs> it's got some bad parts in it. But the TV version is okay, I guess. But when you watch, if you was to watch Forrest Gump again, would you be all nervous that he's going to die in Vietnam this time? They're going to shoot him more than in the buttocks. I know it. <laughs> When he's the shrimp boat captain, he's going to drown. You wouldn't be all nervous. Why? You know the end of the story. Say it ain't going to change. It ain't going to change. See, I've already read the end of the Bible. I've read this book through, and I see that we win. Say it ain't going to change. I'm still going to be forgiven. I'm still going to live with him forever. I'm still saved. I've still defeated death, hell, and the grave because of Jesus Christ. I'm going to live forever in him, and it ain't going to change. It ain't going to change. It ain't going to change. You've read the book. Hebrews says he, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He wrote the story of our life. You need to trust the script. You need to walk it out. You need to trust the script because it's a good script, and you win. Every time. It ain't going to change. Don't be nervous. It ain't going to change. So I'm up here in the tree stand, sweating, letting the big old buck just. My daddy trusted me to go high. And I went up there, and I was too insecure to function at that level. I was just holding on, great opportunities, just walking right underneath me. I let them go. I wrote something very profound. If you decide to just play life safe, you refuse to change, and you let insecurities dictate your life, you'll end up 
some tree-hugging sissy, worming his way down life and never bagging any big bucks. You'll just be holding on your whole life and mad at yourself that you're holding on, disappointed in yourself, getting further down in the hole. You'll be going the opposite way that God intends for you to go. And look, insecurity is a dangerous place to be. I've been a football coach, and I have those guys on the team that are insecure, and they're scared to, to hit. They, they do. <laughs> Never initiate contact. Always running from it. Those are the guys that get creamed. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Those are the guys that the other guys are looking for. Let that guy come around the corner. I'm going to clean his clock. They are waiting to hit a guy like that. And then when they do get ready to get hit, the big sissy will turn his back and get hit in place. He ain't even got any pads. Stand up and put on the full armor of God that you may stand in this evil day. Stand up. Insecure is a bad place to be. The devil is, is just waiting to clock, to clean your clock. I'm spitting everywhere, man. This must be a good sermon. <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. That's some good stuff, though, isn't it? Look, it's not about you. It's about who you are in Christ. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.